How's it going, guys? Uh, normally, you would expect us to start a, a brand new episode, but we have a special from the archives edition today. It's a bonus episode that we decided to uh, uh, push out for you because, let's face it, many of us are uh, going to be binge-watching a lot of series uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, but this series, uh, I think, is something that, you know, if you have the time... Uh, you could invest a couple seasons worth of uh, good content, um, Game of Thrones. Nick uh, did a review on this uh, uh, last year when this the series ended, and I think it's a it's a great episode to bring uh, bring up for this uh, from the archive special. Uh, we will be having more of these episodes uh, throughout the year. Uh, you know, just let us know um, what you guys like from videos or episodes that you've seen before or have heard before um, on thinkrings.space. Um, uh, please stay tuned for any new content that we come out with that we would love uh, ideas for uh, show and movie reviews. Um, in addition, I wanted to also uh, recognize a GoFundMe page. Uh, one of the things that's going on right now is there is a need for uh, PPE uh, for hospitals and other facilities that are uh, trying to uh, help in the current situation that we all are facing with. Um, it's a small thing that this one individual is doing, but the uh, response, as you guys can already tell when we made this recording, um, it's, you know, it's being well received. Um, if you have a moment, uh, please you know, go to the page and uh, help support in whatever form you can. Uh, even giving kudos, you know, I, I think that's uh, as valuable as, you know, any monetary that uh, you might be able to. Um, and if not, again, just, you know, just giving a good uh, comment or two, I think would be greatly appreciated. We hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Nick, uh, do you want to give us a a, 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 a sneak peek to uh, anything that you uh, may recall talking about? Yeah, well, um, as I recall, that was uh, towards the end of the series for Game of Thrones last year. Uh, I stewed in my anger for a little while before coming out with this podcast. Um, I was solo, so bear with me. It's a lot of just me talking, um, so you've been forewarned. But uh, I think that I still hold most of the opinions that I had Uh in the past year uh currently so i hope you guys enjoy it uh i definitely enjoyed doing it i might do an addendum to this uh at some point in the future uh maybe a retrospective and go through the entire series um but anyways enjoy i'm really looking forward to saturday uh i'm i'm really just looking forward to sharing our thoughts on tiger king man it'll okay. be fun it'll be fun all right, guys. Thank you. All right. And if I did this right, I think we are live. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Thinkering. Um, I am your solo host this evening, Nick. Um, my co-hosts Keelan and Jose, um, one Jose is, uh, in the middle of a moving process, so it's lengthy and very time consuming. Um, and then to Keelan for this, uh, particular topic, uh, he's never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. So, 
uh, I figured I will just do a short little monologue and uh, just give a little bit of a series reca recap as a whole. It's an end of an era. Um, it's one of the biggest TV shows to ever exist. And I think that it's one of those things that we need to uh, address because as I said, it's an end of an era and for better or for worse, that era is over. Um, so thank you for joining me. Uh, I'm going to do my best uh, to <laughs> make it concise and entertaining for you guys. Uh, please bear with me. This is the first time I'd be live streaming on my own. So um, I wanted to start off first and just say that uh, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan and I've been following the series, TV series, for a long time now. Uh, I got on around season two. Um, obviously binge-watched season one all the way through and then caught up with season two and, and been in love with it ever since. Um, I'm trying to get into the books. I'm a little bit, <laughs> I'm a little bit stubborn with book reading. I, I, I can get into books, but I just have a bad habit of reading one day and then not reading for, you know, three weeks or so. So I'm going to do better about that, especially after the series is over. Now I can probably get into the books some more um, and, you know, gain some, some new knowledge and information from that. But longtime Game of Thrones fan, um, as we know, the last episode happened on Sunday, uh, leaving a lot of fans mixed as far as what the ending was. And I think that that was to be expected. I think ultimately, no matter what, there was going to be people who were disappointed in it and, and people who loved it. Like with all TV shows, I think that there's very few TV shows that have a universally um, loved ending. Um, maybe a lot more that are universally hated, but uh, I can only really think of maybe Breaking Bad as one of those TV shows that mostly everybody has a has a good relationship with. That said, you know, the end of Game of Thrones um, happens and it's left a lot of people feeling a little bit empty, a little bit hollow. Some people really like it. And, and you know, this is, this recording will be more about my critique of the series as a whole and especially the last season as to where it left the series as a whole. Um, I do love the series and I do very much still hold it close to my heart and it's still one of the greatest you know tv shows to ever have uh, uh graced our screens that said uh, there were a lot of issues with the last in my opinion last two seasons um and i will be probably going into detail about that more than um than the first six seasons because i think as a whole most people really enjoy the first six seasons season five was a little bit a little bit woozy for people some people didn't really like it all that much season six was a lot better you had the battle of the bastards and then you had uh, cersei blowing up the sept and then you also have the reveal of um john snow's parentage which was really great um so season one through six is not really going to be a whole bunch to say because what has been said has all been very positive and I very much agree with that. Um, I think the seasons, or not the season, the series really started falling off in season seven. And it's got a lot to do with um, a very a varied amount of things. You know, one is the books aren't finished yet. Uh, 
The last book came out eight years ago. We're still waiting for The Winds of Winter. We're still waiting for A Dream of Spring. Um, as of this recording, this live session, George R. R. Martin is now saying that he's going to have the next book finished by 2020. I don't know if that's convenience or just serendipity. Um, I kind of lean towards convenience because maybe he wants to clean up the ending that we got. Uh, that's p quite possible, and he could do very well for himself if he decides to flesh out these plot points that we saw on the screen over two books. Because my argument is that I have no real issue with anything that occurred in the last couple episodes, especially resolving people's uh, characters' story arcs. I have an issue with how they got there. And ultimately, uh, how quickly they got there. And without very much regard for what had come before in the previous six seasons. And I think it needs to be uh, stated that HBO offered the show directors the opportunity to uh, carry on for 10 seasons. They refused. They didn't feel like it. They were getting other other offers um, to Disney. They were getting, uh, I guess that's where they're going now. They're going to be doing the Star Wars trilogy. So I understand you get locked into a, a project that could potentially be 10 years. You start getting itchy around the sixth or seventh year and uh, you don't really want to do it anymore. Um, I would have preferred that they had passed it off and uh, given it to somebody who wanted to see it to season 10 because I think that ultimately we would have had a lot of a, a better, um, we would have had a better time doing it. That's for sure. Um, so I think what we should, what I should say ultimately is that season one and two, um, or season one and two, season seven and eight were the show directors not caring to give us that classic Game of Thrones feeling, the slow burn of Game of Thrones. That's really what brought most of us around. Um, each season in the first, you know, five seasons, maybe, yeah, um, were a lot slower pace. They were a lot more about character development. They were a lot more about the quiet moments. You know, a lot of people <laughs> like to joke, say it's about the quiet moments in the rooms and, uh, and whatnot. But uh, it's definitely true. There is a lot of that. There is a, uh, there's a, a sort of slow burn character richness interacting with each other's in quiet moments that then were amplified and, and magnified by large set scene action, you know, uh, episodes. As the last two seasons rolled out, they, I feel like the show creators probably just got a little bit tired of not maybe one, they got tired of the whole thing of the idea of having to flesh out these characters and have long conversations Two, they ran out of material, so I can't blame them for that. But I think for the purpose of this live stream, what I'm going to do is just talk about the last two seasons and go character by character. Um, I think that'll be the easiest for me. I didn't really... I tried to write a script, and then I realized I have, I have the reading ability of a smart 13-year-old, so that's just going to be a mess if I try to do that. So <laughs> I think I'm just going to go character by character. And uh, then, you know, we'll kind of see where we go from there. So uh, let's see here. The first character I wanted to bring up, um, and I'm going to do the satellite characters first, the people that aren't the core group of characters. But 
So I first I want to start off with uh, Brienne of Tarth. Now, Brienne of Tarth's character has been one that's actually been really satisfying to watch over the years. Uh, she's she's got the Jon Snow nobility um, with sort of the Arya Stark badassness, which is kind of cool. Um, and her whole character arc, it would have seemed, would have culminated in this episode of season eight, um, in which she was knighted by Jamie. Really her biggest struggle throughout this series was being recognized as a legitimate warrior. Um, she always wanted that sort of acknowledgement from the system that she was just as good as the guys because she was, I mean, she was a giant woman as Tormund likes to say, uh, and was an incredibly skilled fighter. And she proved herself over and over that she was a, a, a person of high honor and high character and I think really ultimately the most beautiful uh, the most beautiful parts of one of the most beautiful parts of season eight was her being knighted by Jamie. I think that that had one of the most emotional um, reactions. Uh, the, one of them had the biggest punch to it. it. It felt real Game of Thrones. That was something that that character had been working towards the entire series. And finally getting it felt really satisfying. And so I think that that was an incredible uh, scene in episode two. And I think that that was just an incredible way for her story arc to kind of come to a natural close. I would have personally, I'm not upset that she survived the series. I think it's pretty cool. She gets to be a Kingsguard now for Bran. We'll get into that later. That's going to be a lot of this episode is talking about what happened with Bran. But um <clears throat> I would have kind of thought that she would have stuck with Sansa. Uh, they've always had that really close connection. Um, but I guess maybe Sansa just gave the okay. She doesn't have to be protected anymore. She's the queen of the north. So Brienne gets to go to King's Landing and, and finish Jamie's book, which I thought was kind of a, a nice moment. I wish there was, I wish I had felt something a little bit more about that. And I think ultimately I felt. I felt like that moment didn't really have the same weight that it could have. And I think ultimately had Jamie died in episode three, the battle for Winterfell, that would have had a bigger moment in my mind because Jamie is 180 back to Cersei after he takes <laughs> Brienne's V card it was kind of weird. And I mean, yes. Okay. He's a character that's always been in love with his, his sister. And I get that. But, and this is going to be a critique I have for a lot of the characters in the season and series. It feels like a lot of the characters just went back to being who they were in season one. And I don't know if that was a, I mean, it, to a sense, I understand in the books that that would be a purposeful choice. The idea of maybe no matter what you do, you can't escape the fundamental person you are. Um, I can see where that would go, but for him to go from betting Brienne to looking really solemn after they just had sex to like basically ditching her uh, was, was just a weird moment for me. And it just didn't feel, I mean, there was this still this wonder, I guess about whether he was going to go and kill Cersei. Maybe he was going to be that person is like, okay, I gotta, I love you, but I have to go take care of this one thing that'll haunt me forever. If I don't get rid of this woman for my life, I don't know. Um, but you know, what can you expect? So Brienne's 
ending was pretty good. I think she deserves to be the the head of the queen, the king's guard, and uh, I thought that was nice. And same goes for for Podrick. Uh, Podrick and Brienne kind of are interchangeable. I mean, they come as a set now, so. Padraig gets to be the uh, wheelchair pusher for the king, so I think that's good. I, I hope that he didn't have to take a vow of celibacy uh, to become a king's guard because the whores will go screaming from Dorne to Casterly Rock, as uh, Tyrion used to say. Um, anyways, uh, that brings us to the Hound. And I think the Hound was another character that had a pretty satisfying arc um, in this latest uh season he came to winterfell he got to meet up with Arya again he got to uh re- relive his ptsd about fire uh only to be snapped out of it because of Arya, which i thought was kind of a nice sort of moment you know he he put he put his fears on the you know on the back burner in order to protect Arya, and i thought that was kind of cool so um nothing really bad there i did I did think that he could have told Arya to just like can the whole Cersei thing before uh, Arya went to uh, King's Landing, but I understand they wanted Arya in King's Landing for reasons. So even though everybody ends up in King's Landing at the end of the series anyway, so she didn't really have to be there. They just wanted her there for the dragon uh, burning of uh, King's Landing. So you had somebody on the ground. They do a lot of weird things with Arya that I'll get into later, but the Hound finally gets to fight his brother, the Zombie Mountain. Uh, that was pretty cool. I think this the uh, <clears throat> the way. Pardon me. I I I do that all too often. Uh, I think the whole cinematography of it, the backdrop with the dragon and the fire and everything crumbling, that was obviously very cool. Um, <laughs> I thought the best part of that really was when he just started laughing because he kept stabbing the mountain over and over again. Nothing was doing it, and just. That was another one of those like nihilistic sort of things that I just it makes you feel kind of icky, but it was totally appropriate for that uh, that scene because he's a zombie, and really, what can you do if he's not going to take a, a knife? If he can take a knife through the eye, then the only thing you can do is try to push him, you know, from five hundred feet in the you know up or whatever. I don't know, so takes out his his brother they both die in fire although they really just die from a a long fall um but the fire is there as the as the nice symbolism which i appreciated um so that was a pretty good ending i think that that was that was exactly what we were expecting everybody was hyped for a game bowl uh we've been talking about it for years and years and they delivered on that so you got to give them credit for that i think that that was pretty darn cool um there could have been other ways to do that. I think the meme right now is that they should have been doing it in a chicken coop because of the hound's affiliation or affinity for chickens. Um, but I think the way that it was set was really pretty and it was a very spectacular scene. So um, then we're going to get on to Euron, <laughs> the uh, eyeliner wearing uh, <laughs> foul mouthed pirate that just kind of does whatever the writers need him to do. Uh, to level the playing field for Cersei. Never really cared for Euron all that much. I think the best scene with him was probably the King's Moot, where he uh, took the the salt throne from uh, Yara and, uh, and Theon. I think after that, he just kind of became this 
deus ex machina for the writers uh, to get themselves out of sticky situations. Oh, uh, Euron, uh, what are we going to do when the Unsullied attack Casterly Rock? Oh, don't worry about it. Euron's got his fleet there. He's already taking care of it. How are we going to get uh, another one of uh, um, <laughs> uh, Daenerys' dragons out of the sky? Oh, Euron will be hiding behind a rock with his fleet, and then Danny will kind of forget about it. So uh, that character, honestly, fine. He died... I don't know why he had to kill or mortally wound Jamie Lannister. I feel like they could have had that whole scene without that interaction. They had to kill Euron off, but just kill him with Danny burning his ship. You don't have to have him crawling back from the slime that he came from to go fight Jamie. Uh, just to look in the camera and say, I'm the man that killed Jamie Lannister. It was a little hokey, but true to his character because that's a hokey character. So he's gone, done, good riddance, don't care. Uh, Tormund. Tormund's got a really great ending, obviously, but that was the only ending Tormund was ever going to have. Nobody was going to kill that dude off. He was was way too popular. Uh, He was way too funny and badass. Uh, It would have been nice to have maybe another moment with Brienne. I mean, not necessarily like them having to be any sort of, you know, intimacy between them, but maybe in the battle uh, for Winterfell, having that, you know, one save the other, that would have been kind of cool. I would have been, I would have really dug that. Didn't even have to be Tormund saving Bran, could have been the other way around. I think that would have been kind of, kind of cool. Just that recognition that, hey, look, I know you like me, but I'm not that into you, but hey, you're still cool. I think that would have been nice, but he fucks off with Ghost um, up north. Uh, I guess he's at Castle Black waiting for the spring to come, which, you know, eventually comes. Um, so we'll get back to him once I get to John because John's the next one. So um, that's the next would be, oh, fuck, Braun. All right. So this is where I start. <laughs> this is where I start to complain a little bit more than I should. Uh, Braun is one of those characters that, got really high Q Q ratings. Oh my gosh, my puppy is here and now she's assaulting me. Sorry. Um, I got really high Q ratings and the, and the, everybody loved him, which I make makes sense because he was a really great person to work off of with Tyrion and Jamie. But that scene where he comes into Wintertown and it's Wintertown, I guess not Winterfell where Jamie and, and Tyrion are drinking. And then he comes in and threatens them with a crossbow Basically, like, you know, you guys, uh, your, your sister told me to come kill you guys, but I know you pay me more, so what are you going to offer me? And Jamie and Tyrion are like, okay, well, we got to get this guy off our back, so we're going to tell him that he can have the Reach and Highgarden, which is one of, one of the most valuable kingdoms of the Seven. Uh, and obviously that makes him get off their back. And really, I thought that that was just like a kiss-off to, to Bronn to... For, you know, for Jamie and Tyrion to be like, yeah, we're not going to give him shit, but we needed him to keep him from, you know, killing us. We had to tell him something. But Bronn gets Highgarden and, <laughs> and he gets the Reach, which just to me makes absolutely no sense because when uh, he's he threatened, he got those things out of threatening Tyrion. Now Tyrion is the hand of the king and he could have very easily been like, no, but I guess the Lannisters always pay their debts, so Bronn gets Highgarden and the Reach. Okay, I really need you to not be biting me while I'm doing this. That's very rude. <laughs> My dog is biting me while I'm recording. Sorry, guys. Um, 
anyways, so that's Braun. I don't really have much to say about that. I think it was kind of weird to see him on the small council at the end of the, the series. It's just, we're trying to build this world to be a better place. And, you know, you have these people who are kind of morally upright and trying, and Tyrion does his best, but, you know, they have Davos and then you have fucking Sam and then you have somebody else. Who, was, who else was there? There was somebody else there. It probably didn't matter all that much. But then you have fucking Bronn, who's just a sellsword that, <laughs> that, you know, basically fought for the right people, which doesn't sound much like a change of, of government to me. And we're going to get to that, too, in a little bit, because it seems like not much has changed for Game of Thrones or Westeros as a whole. Um, all right, so let's get into the bigger characters now. So I got most of the satellite characters. Um, I could talk about Jorah and all the people who kind of died, but their deaths were fine for me. Um, most of the ancillary character deaths were fine. I think Varys could have gone out a little bit better. He's the master of whispers. He's the spider. He's the mo- you know one of the most you know he was having he was having battles of wits with Littlefinger, one of the most conniving people in the Seven Kingdoms. And somehow he didn't think that writing letters and sending ravens to all the lords about John was getting while he was on Dragonstone was going to get back to Daenerys. I just I thought that was kind of lame. But he's got to be killed, so fuck all of the things that you create beforehand. We're just gonna make sure that he does something stupid in order to kill him. Which brings me to Tyrion. <laughs> Tyrion is one of the most beloved characters in the whole series. He has been a episode one, day one character. He's, uh, you know, obviously got some of the best moments in the whole series. Uh, thinking back to killing Tywin, to the Battle of the Blackwater, exploding all of Stannis' ships, um, you know, to his trial in the Eyrie, uh, to his trial in King's Landing. The guy's been on a lot of trials. This was his third, by the way. And he still managed to be Hand of a King. I don't understand that. Look, Tyrion was supposed to be the most clever man in all of Westeros because he was he was short and people would make fun of him and he used his mind as his weapon. And I think that that's very cool. Um, <clears throat> but for some reason, Tyrion just became really stupid uh, at the end of the se- series. So season seven and eight, he's making the worst decisions. I mean, actually, let me take that back. He's been making bad decisions ever since he met with Danny, which is so bizarre to me because I feel like he had so many opportunities to do good things, but he kept failing over and over, and Danny still made him her hands. So I don't necessarily know why, but obviously he's a favorite, and uh, you know George R. R. Martin's going to keep him till the end too. So you know that makes sense. But it would have just been cool to see that remembrance of Tyrion as the cleverest man in Westeros, like the you know the the plan with the wildfire at the Battle of the Blackwater is always one of my you know favorite with the strategy that he had, uh, sneaking the the troops out <clears throat> past the gates at at the Battle of the Blackwater so they can come around and and surprise Stannis's army. You know, like, these are the things that Tyrion is known for, these very clever tricks. And they try to do that in Season 7 when he's trying to set up the, the sack of uh, Casterly, Rock, Casterly Rock, but they don't really do that at all. They, I mean, obviously, Cersei's already one step ahead of them, and, you know, they, they had emptied out Casterly Rock anyway, so Tyrion looks like a dumbass again. And he continues to look like a dumbass 
this entire series and or and this entire season, sorry, um, <clears throat> hasn't made a, a good decision. His decision, his his last decision, besides telling Varys about John, was to put all of the people in Winterfell in the crypt. And even Peter Dinklage in one of the the interviews was perplexed by that decision. He didn't understand. He like, okay, you're fighting an enemy that can raise the dead. And Tyrion's idea is to put all the women and children in a crypt that has dead bodies in it. It made it made absolutely no sense. I don't understand why they were in the crypt. Uh, and then obviously the reason they were in the crypt was for the shock value of seeing a hand pop out of a, a stone tomb that apparently that hand was just spending the whole battle scratching away at or, or punching or something because he got through that stone slab pretty quickly. Um, Anyways, Tyrion obviously makes it to the end. He becomes Hand of the King for Bran. I didn't really understand. First, Tyrion was on trial, and then he makes this big speech to everybody, and they're like, oh, yeah, you got a good point. Let's just elect a king right now. Grey Worm's standing there like, hey, I actually brought him here so that you could met out justice to him because he betrayed my queen, which it could be debated releasing Jamie wasn't a betrayal anyways because he knew ultimately either they were going to die or they were going to escape escape and there would be no seeing him. So I don't really count that as a betrayal. I think he was just looking out for his family like he always has. Uh Daenerys just kind of got a little bit too a little bit too crazy. I know they were pushing the mad queen thing a lot, so Anyways, sorry, Tyrion makes it to the end. And I think the biggest problem I have with it, aside from him being the Hand of the King, for really no particular reason that we know of, at at least in the past two seasons, he hasn't done anything that's been like, oh, that's Hand of the King material right there. He was the guy that saved us from, I don't know, X, Y, and Z. I mean, he had those moments when he was in seasons one, two, three, and four, and he was Hand of the King for a while for that. But he never really exhibited the same sort of savvy that he once had. It seemed more like Tyrion was just broken, and he was just a puppy dog trying to believe in something. And that was one of his... I think that was one of his story arcs, is that he started off as a very hedonistic character, a very sensory character only cared about tits and wine i'm the god of tits and wine that's what he said um but then he becomes you know like danny inspires to him to believe in more and he becomes an individual that wants to believe in more and i just it's weird that they crippled his intellect um in order to keep daenerys nerfed and that's really what it all comes down to is daenerys was op as hell and they had to nerf her side of the army because like we see in episode five you're not you're going to you're going to see Daenerys just lay waste to King's Landing and she does it in half a day I think I mean who knows how long I don't know what the time frame is in that in this series anymore but she does it very quickly anyways back to Tyrion my last comments on that is in the small council we didn't need to see uh, we did not need to see Tyrion um, sorting out chairs for 90 seconds. I thought that was kind of weird. I mean, I get that he's nervous, but mm, you're Tyr- he's Tyrion Lannister. He's also got lots of vibrato and confidence when he needs to muster it. Um, my biggest gripe is that we didn't get to hear the end of the joke. 
the joke that this would have been the third time that he had told it, that he had once walked into a tavern with a honeycomb and a jackass, and he always gets cut off at that point. That was the third time he told that joke, and we still don't get it. And to me, I maybe maybe the joke just isn't there, and it's always been that, that, that sort of thing, and they couldn't think of a snappy punchline. They just kind of wanted to bring it as a callback. But if you're going to do that, just finish the joke. Finish the joke and make it something that you don't even have to make it that good. You can just make it something that people kind of like cringe at and maybe have it turn and be like, uh, maybe that's why I don't tell that joke. You know, like just so that we know, because you've mentioned that damn joke two times prior and this is the third time you bring it up and then you cut to black. Anyways, Tyrion's fine. He was, he's a great character. Peter Dinklage is a wonderful actor and he did a great job even though the dialogue left us all wanting, to be honest. All right, next character is going to be Sansa. Sansa, the master schemer. The, the, the one that really got everything that she wanted, and bless her for it. I mean, goodness gracious. You know, in the last couple seasons, she's really proved herself to be a good ruler in the fact that she's so conscientious and understanding about the intricacies of ruling. Um, I think the best example of it for this season was when Daenerys and Jon come back to Winterfell and her, her whole shtick or shtick, her whole thing is like, okay, so I've already stocked up all the supplies for the people of Winterfell for this long winter, but now I have Dothraki and Unsullied and two dragons here. How are we going to feed all these people? <laughs> Sans is a, a part of Cinema Sins, I think, or something like that, because she's she's asking all the questions the fans really ask in the background. But that was one of those uh, that was one of those instances in which she really showed herself as a as a leader and understanding. And I think that ever since she's won back Winterfell in the Battle of the Bastards and got rid of Ramsay, she's really come into her own as Lady of Winterfell. And I really, I I totally understood and got that ending for her. She was always going to be the Queen in the North. Um, because that's how her character started. Her character started wanting to be the Queen of the Seven Kingdoms with Joffrey. But this time, she doesn't have to have a man, and she can be doing it independently, and uh, you know, she's the first Queen of the North, which I thought was pretty cool. The way they got there, a little weird. The whole Arya Sansa thing in Season 7, where they're trying to dupe Littlefinger, I didn't really get that all that much, to be honest. It felt like it was forced and contrived, and I feel like they could have just killed Littlefinger if they wanted to. They didn't have to create all of this thing about it. But anyways, Sansa gets her happy ending, and I'm happy for her. I'm not that excited. <laughs> I'm not that excited about the way the North wins its independence in that sort of casual way. I mean, it works for her because her brother's now the king, but I just so like thought of Dorne and the Iron Islands when Sansa was like, we're not going to kneel again. So the North needs to be independent. <laughs> I think like Yara and that Dornish prince were just sitting there like, did this bitch really do that? Are we allowed to do that? Can we do that? <laughs> like oh, everybody just be independent at that point. Come on now. Um, anyways. So Sansa's great. I think her character, she's really grown on me. I didn't like her in the, you know, in the beginning because she's just, it was just such a tragic victim you know, like her character was such a tragic victim and I'm just bummed me out. But seeing her get some autonomy and some, and some power back and building herself up to the queen of the North, I think was perfect. Um, that brings us to our little T1000 Terminator Wolverine Aria. 
<laughs> I've had a lot of issues with Arya. I think she's she started off as my favorite favorite character. Seasons one through four, she's just the best character, hands down. Her adventures with the Hounds, her adventures with Gendry and the Brotherhood Without Banners, going through the Riverlands, like that stuff is like peak game. It's and her her being the cupbearer for Tywin. I almost left that out. That's one of the like the best subplots right there. Um, and her character has always been so interesting and so cool. And and her storyline was based on revenge. And it was all about avenging the death of her family, which I totally understood. She had the list. She went to the Faceless Men, then got to the Faceless Men, and things really went south from there. Um, I don't think that the show writers know how to deal with the high fantasy elements of the show the supernatural elements, because it feels like every time they introduce one of those subjects, they kind of have to wrap it up real quick before it gets too deep because they don't know a lot about it. And so I think that the first time we see that is when Arya goes to the, the faceless men. Um, I think aside from sweeping and learning to lie, she didn't learn a whole lot. And I feel like there should have been more there um, and then her killing the waif and basically telling Jack and Hagar to shove it was really weird. Faceless men don't play that sort of way. And it doesn't seem like Jack and Hagar would have let her just walk away and go back to Westeros. What I would really have liked for Arya, and this is just me being in my head canon. I had thought once she left Essos to go back to Westeros, she would have done a lot more things with the faceless powers. And I think the reason that they chose not to have her do more things with the faceless powers and just kill the phrase with that is maybe because of this. Because it, had she had gone off to Westeros and started just knocking people out just to, to help her family or whatever and use those faceless powers, I think the faceless men would have come after her. And I think that would actually have been a pretty cool plot line that she used those faceless powers too much. And now the, 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 the red God is naming her as the next, as the next face uh, and having her have to struggle with that and trying to basically, I mean, it would have been the wave 2.0 maybe, but it would have been cool if maybe it was Jack and Hagar that had to like try to kill her. That would have been pretty sweet. Um, anyways, Arya, instead of finishing her list in the logical way that we all thought it was going to be where she killed Cersei or have some hand in it, the show directors decided to have her be the one that killed the Night King. Now, I, I, this might be the biggest reason the season doesn't work, and I don't know if people are putting it together. Maybe they just don't care. I don't care that Arya killed the Night King all that much. I care that she took that storyline away from John. Because after the Night King dies, John becomes literally useless until it's time for him to kill Danny. And that's because you robbed him of his natural story progression. John was always supposed to face the Night Queen, Night King. He didn't have to win. It didn't have to be I mean the show directors say and the, by the way, if you're if you watch Game of Thrones, don't watch the after the show thing because really those show directors love to kill your headcanon. They love it. So their, their justification for having Arya kill the Night King was because Jon would have been too expected. Well, I'm sorry. 
you spent the last seven years building up the tension between John and the, the threat from the north. And first it was the wildlings, but the wildlings were a red herring, a red herring because it was actually the, the Night King and the White Walkers that were the threat. And then the guy doesn't even get to have that confrontation. He literally spends that time when the Night King is about to get killed yelling at a dragon. Now, had the dragon been keeping Arya from the courtyard to get to the Night King and John had to try to sacrifice himself to distract the dragon, <clears throat> even that would have been fine. But he didn't even have that that to do with it. He he was so far removed from the death of the Night King that it really sends his character nowhere afterwards. And I think that's the, a lot of the reason they don't have a lot of dialogue with John after the, the battle for uh, Winterfell, except for, she's my queen. I love her. I don't want it. I mean, like, seriously, that's all he says for most of the, the rest of the series. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with them deciding to have Arya be the one to to kill the Night King. I don't think that was necessary for her character. I think you could have still kept it that she was going to plan to kill Cersei and still have the Hound convince her to do otherwise. The main point of her whole story arc is that she needed to let go of the vengeance and try to build something else for herself. And they were trying to go that way with her placing emphasis back on the Starks and wanting to be with her family. But then once everything ends, she just fucks off and leaves the Starks again. It's, it's, she's so bipolar with what she wants Arya is. She wants to go kill Cersei. She wants to go see her family. She wants her family to be together, but then she wants to go sail west of Westeros. I don't get it. I, I think that's the issue is that they have this, they might have this idea that Arya has to be this like independent autonomous person, which is totally fine. But to me, it seemed like the overarching story of the Starks was that they were better together and that when they were together, that's when they could truly flourish and survive. And maybe now that there's no threat, they don't need to be get together anymore, but they weren't together all that much to begin with. So it would have been nice to see that maybe they were going to put away all of their bullshit and just like, you know, be a family for a little bit before they go do other things. That being said, it makes sense. She's going to go be Arya the Explorer. She's going to go sail west to Westeros, which is just Essos because that's where she's going to end up. Maybe they'll do a spinoff for that. So we're done with Arya. Uh, that gets us to Cersei. Cersei Lannister, the least featured in this entire season. I think Cersei had two episodes with all of ten lines each. At the most, I think. <laughs> I think there were more there was more minutes of her staring out of a window or looking down at something than there were of anything else. She I mean, what a waste. What a waste. Because you kill the Night King. And then you tell us Cersei Lannister is actually the bigger threat because this is not about the supernatural threat. It's about how bad humans can be. And I can play ball with that premise. But then you don't have Cersei do anything except for kill Masande. That's all she does. Kills Masande so Danny could be mad and then literally stares out a window while the entire city burns. Now, 
Lena Haiti did an amazing job conveying the small the small amounts that she breaks apart over that episode as she starts to think see things fall apart. I think she did an amazing job with that. But man, what a waste of a of the of the actor, what a waste of the character. It was really weird because I think that they had to do such a weird shift in episode 5 where we all thought Cersei was the one that we're supposed to be hissing and booing at. But with the whole change of Daenerys and her heel turn, Cersei kind of became a little bit sympathetic, which I think is cool, but I don't know if that's what they were entirely going for. And I guess maybe she was pregnant. Maybe she wasn't. Oh, she did say she wanted her baby to live. So I guess she was pregnant. And that's the, that was one of the most humanizing moments for her. And, you know, like her dying with Jamie, fine, I get it. But getting collapsed or getting caved in on at the Red Keep, I, I didn't see that. I didn't really, I mean, that was kind of a, mm, eh, okay. And then you see when Tyrion digs up their bodies, had they just walked 20 feet to the right, they wouldn't have been crushed. Or at least that's what the shot looks like. Uh, because there's a whole clear space right next to the pile of rubble <laughs> that they could have just been standing on instead and they, they would have survived. But that's okay. They needed to die. Cersei was an amazing character. Her best moment will still and always be the blowing up of the Sept of Baelor. That was one of the greatest... I know it's a, such a normie moment. I know like it, that's when they started to cater to the casuals, but it is still such a beautiful scene, and I think that that's just the highlight of who Cersei is. The way she's so shrewd, and she will do anything to protect her children, which is the very thing that ends up getting him killed. I think that poetry is just beautiful. So great character, great actress, Lena Headey. She did a wonderful job. She made me hate her so much, and I think that that's great when an actor can can convince you that they're just a terrible person. But she's not. She's great, and what a wonderful character. Uh, next, we have Jamie. That's the, the logical uh, next step. Jamie was one of the best redemption arcs of the entire series up until episode four. <sighs> I don't even want to go into the whole Jamie's redemption arc because it's so long and it spans literally seven seasons. So what I will say is that he had one of the best character arcs, redemption arcs, and he should have died at the battle of Winterfell. He should have died there. He should have died trying to save Brienne or have Brienne try to save him as he dies one or the other. And that would have been perfect. That would have been perfect. Still have Cersei get crushed by herself. Have it more impactful because she is by herself and she alienated everybody around her. That's better. That's so much better. Jamie doing that weird turn right after he busts a nut in Brienne, that was so strange, man. That was like, all right, hit it and quit it. Bye, bitch. What? First of all, that was the first woman that you've ever been with outside of Cersei. And was it that bad? Do you regret it that much that you're like, oh, I got to go back to my sister. I'm sorry. Poor Brienne, because I'm sure she, you know, I'm sure she did her best. But like, good lord, just that's that was so brutal. And it just it it was only because Jamie needed to be there when Cersei died. And had there been two more seasons or three more seasons, we would have seen we would have seen that progression a lot better. 
he would have probably stayed with Brienne for a little while. Then something would have happened to her, Cersei maybe a season later, and he has to change his mind. That would have been fine. But to have it literally scene one, scene two, too much. Too much of a turn. Too much of a turn. Not believable. Totally jarring, and it brings you out of the immersion of the show because you're like, oh, what? You're doing that now? On to the next plot point. Fuck Brienne. All right, now I'm going to go back and fuck my sister. Weird. Anyways. Done with Jamie, dead, buried in the rubble, even though they could have just moved 20 feet and both been fine. Fine. Uh, my next main character is the Night King. And yes, I'm going to name him as the main character simply because the White Walkers are the first thing you see in the show as far as any sort of interaction with a character. You first see them in the, in the first, in the pre, in the pre prologue of the show you see the White Walkers, and they've been built up for seven seasons. Now, look, say what you want to say about, oh, that's weird, it's hokey, the idea of like, oh, yeah, there's a bigger threat, and it's, you know, zombies, undead, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I kind of get that it's hokey too, but the idea of the White Walkers was that these stupid humans won't stop bickering and complaining about a chair, that they're all going to face their annihilation because they're ignoring the threat to the North. And that's what the White Walkers were. So they were ultimately a foil in order to get people to cooperate with each other. And I would be fine. But then you introduce a character like the Night King, who has what seems to be some sort of agenda, especially a personal agenda against Bran, and then also against Jon. And we get reminded that this was, I mean, in Bran's vision, we get to see the man that becomes the Night King. So he's not just some senseless killing machine. He was a man before. He was something. And the way this show just turned him into, oh, he's just the personification of death that wants to kill Bran because Bran is the memories of humans. And that's the only way you can kill something is if you kill the memory of it. Oh, God, first of all, let's not get all fucking hoity-toity with our message here. I don't need that, like, oh, he wants to destroy the memory of all humans, and that's how people die, is being forgotten. Ew. Blat. That's a... Blah. <laughs> that's terrible. Give him something a little bit more personal. Why did he come now? What's going on? Why does he hate the, the Three-Eyed Raven so much? The children of the forest were the ones that made him. Was the Three-Eyed Raven in charge of the children of the forest? Did they have some sort of weird rivalry? How long have they known each about each other? Did they interact with each other before Bran came into the picture? How did that work out? What is his motivations? Just, just kill everything? He doesn't want to rule. He doesn't want anything. He just wants to kill. Okay, cool. Let's just have Arya kill him then. And ultimately, that's what happened, is that the writers don't know how to deal with the supernatural aspects of the show. And that's an issue. Um, it's a huge issue that they don't know how to do that because the entire show is full of that stuff. It's done realistically, but the whole show, you have faceless men, you have giants, you have white walkers, you have dragons, you have, uh, <laughs> I can't even think of all the, the wargs, you have dire wolves, you have uh, so many supernatural elements to this. You have prophecy, you have resurrection. We'll get to that in a minute too. And then, the idea behind the White Walkers is that he's just a personification of death, but that doesn't that what that's not true, because if he, he was just a killing machine, he wouldn't have strategy. 
Why would he need strategy? Why would he have a, a purpose? Why would he kill a dragon knowing that that's how he gets across the wall? I mean, like, he has thousands of years to understand how to kill humans, but there's no real reason for it. And I think that was just such a letdown by the show. I think we really could have explored that more. And was, coincidentally, the one of the prequels or the, the spinoffs to the Game of Thrones is going to be about the Long Night. They're saying it's not, but it'll have something to do with the Long Night at least, or at least the Night King in some respect. So maybe we'll get answers for him. But ultimately, having him killed killed off so lacklusterly. How did Arya know to stab him in the chest? How did she know? Bran didn't tell her. And that's the problem with this season too, is that we get a lot of people not communicating things that they need to, or they're doing it off screen and we have no idea about it. So that's done for the Night King. Now I'm getting to the final three. Danny. So Daenerys is obviously one of the biggest characters in this whole series. Everybody loves Daenerys. People name their children after Daenerys. She has had an amazing character arc, especially in the first few seasons when she's basically st- you know, s- sold to a warlord by her brother for an army, which is just awful. And then she's subjugated and basically raped by Khal Drogo. And has to find a way to become autonomous and powerful in all of that suppression, which I thought was really compelling. And I think, you know, the birth of her dragons bring a little bit more of that sort of confidence out of her and seasons two and three, when, you know, when she's wandering and then she goes to Astapor, I think those are really great uh, areas. um, Those are great eras of Daenerys right there where she's, she hasn't gotten everything that she's wanted yet, but she's getting closer to just to not like she's not a victim. She's becoming an ambitious ruler. I think Daenerys has always been and will always destined to be the great villain of the series. And that's the way it's going to go in the books. That's the way they did it in the show. They needed two more seasons to do this properly. Yes. She burnt the slavers of, of Marine, or she cru- crucified the slavers um, and, you know, burnt people and did a, a lot of questionable things. And George R. R. Martin has always said the villain is the good guy of the other side. So we're really the ones that got duped for rooting for Daenerys this whole time because we, we thought she was the good guy. Um, I think it was natural for her to kind of go that route especially in the books because in the books she's a lot younger and she's not as likable in the books. You know, a lot of, she's a little bit more petulant and, and naive. And um, so I think the speed in which Daenerys turns is completely jarring. And that's what everybody has a problem with. We see inklings of it in season seven when she starts, when she meets Jon Snow and she's obsessed with him bending the knee She's constantly talking about her claim to the throne. You know, and then it's season seven, she burns the Tarleys, which she didn't, she, she had a justification for doing it, but she didn't have to do it. Um, she just loves to burn people. She loves to burn people with her dragons. She's always has, and that's always just been a thing with her. It's just that she turned the fire on good people now. 
And I think that's the overarching idea of her character is that she's always had so much power, so much raw power as soon as her dragons were born that ultimately that's going to corrupt you and you're you're going to use it for evil. Or as many times as you can try to use it for good, you're always going to use it for evil eventually because it's a literally a nuke button. That's what the dragons are. That's the allegory of the dragons. They're a giant nuke button. Wipe your enemies out. And that's what Daenerys, that's what Daenerys came to. She didn't come to it organically. She came to it way rushed. And as I said, she needed two more seasons to really flesh that out. And I think had we had those two seasons, it would have felt a lot better and it made a lot more sense when she burned down King's Landing. But she burns it down. Then she gives her a little Nazi speech um, to the <laughs> Unsullied who have multiplied and the Dothraki who have multiplied. The Dothraki all but were killed off in episode three, but I guess they have an instant spawn so they can just uh, spawn back at base and be all set. Um, anyway, she gives her a little Hitler speech, and then um, she's hell-bent on, on basically conquering the world, which is a logical conclusion. You know, yeah, basically play it through. If you've done this once, you're going to just do it all over the place because you're going to start seeing more and more tyranny that you need to cleanse. You know, um, So Jon Snow obviously kills her in the throne room after she gets to touch the throne one time um, and talk about how she couldn't count to 21, which is such an odd number to not be able to count up to. But, <laughs> um, but then John kills her and I, you know, we all saw it coming. I don't think anybody was shocked. It was as soon as she burned down King's landing, I just like, yeah, she's got to be killed. She's got to be killed. And obviously John was the only one that could get close to her to do so. I honestly think that they didn't do enough to really foreshadow that. And they could have started early. They could have started. And they tried to claim that, you know, her not being upset when her brother had molten gold poured on her was a clue to her psychopathy. But I don't really buy that. I, her brother was a sociopath or a psychopath that was like, you know, basically selling her to, as I said, a warlord. He wasn't a good guy. And he was constantly threatening to kill her. So, I don't know. Eh. Anyways, say love you. Bye-bye, Danny. Uh, you were a great character up until they decided to make you jealous and, you know, upset that your nephew didn't bone you. So weird. So weird. Um, <laughs> all right. And then we come to my personal favorite character and the most boring vanilla character there is. And, you know, Jon Snow. Jon Snow is my favorite. I've always thought he was the analog for the entire series, or the moral compass, I should say. He's the moral compass for the series, and he had been for a long time. And I really enjoyed his character arc. He went from a bastard that his family didn't really like, except for Arya, and Rob kind of was nice to him too, um, to being the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, to being King in the North, to being, you know, the, uh, to being Aegon Targaryen, the alleged uh, true heir to the throne, although succession doesn't make any sense because Danny wasn't even the true heir because it was a Baratheon throne that was taken by force, which is what all thrones are. So she's not really the true heir to the Iron Throne, nor is 
Norris John, it should be a Baratheon throne. So actually, Gendry is the one that should be on the Iron Throne because he's a Baratheon. So, anyways, Jon Snow, he had a really great character arc. And for the longest time, it was telegraphed that he was going to... His main arc was all about the White Walkers. And it was all about that threat from the other. And they did such a good job with him at being the person that always had his eye on that battle. Always knew that this petty squabbling doesn't matter. It's all about killing the Night King and killing the White Walkers. And I think, you know, the Battle of the Bastards was one of the best battles of the entire series. I think John did an incredible job. That, that mirrored shot of him coming out of the, the crowd of people that he's basically being like suffocated to get death by a, 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 a pile of dead bodies. Him bursting out of that is mirrored by, you know, Daenerys's Misa moment where all of the people are holding her up and praising her, which by the way is hella racist because it's like the white savior thing being, you know, being held up by a whole bunch of brown people, but whatever. I'm just kidding, but <laughs> I just I like to poke fun at things like that because it's pretty funny. Um, but John coming out of the battle, you know, out of that pile of dead bodies, that was the most claustrophobic moment. I think it's just that rebirth for him was so cool, and him fucking dying and being brought back to life. And see, that's my biggest issue with this whole series is that he was brought back to life for a reason, and we all assumed that the reason was to kill the Night King. Apparently, that wasn't the reason at all. I don't know what the reason is. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, it was to unite the people to fight the Night King. And I'm like, well, okay. So John was just really good at telling people that there's a bad guy over there. All right. Well, why did Rolor, the Lord of Light, need him in particular? I mean, he could have had Danny. He could have Kinvara, a character that just dropped out of nowhere after season five or six. He could add Kimfara tell Danny that she needed to go kill the Night King because she was Azora High. Another thing that led to nowhere, Azora High would both come on now. Um, so John doesn't get to kill the Night King, which just it kills his character because he was brought back from from the dead by Relor, whose sole purpose is to battle the Night King. You barked on Darian was brought back so many times so that he could simply save Arya that one time so that she could be the one that killed the Night King. Why was Jon brought back if not to have anything to do with killing the Night King? No clue. Dropped it. He was expected. We didn't want to do something expected. We have to subvert expectations. And so we basically torpedoed a, one of our main characters' story arcs. And then he has nothing to do for the entire series until the, the plot demands that he kill Daenerys and basically get sent to prison for it. So he kills Daenerys. There's nobody in the throne room, by the way. Daenerys gets picked up by Drogon and promptly flown away. So there's no body. There's no evidence that Daenerys was even there. All Jon had to do is walk outside, tell Grey Worm, hey, she went for a spin. I'm going away. And that would have been that. No, fucking dumb Jon Snow always has to be the honorable Ned Stark motherfucking ass that he is, and he probably went to Grey Worm and told him. But we'll never know, because that harsh-ass cut sequence right after Jon stabs Daenerys. 
so jarring. All of a sudden, it's three weeks later. John's in prison. Tyrion gets brought out of prison so that he can make a case for the king. Oh, fuck, we'll get to that in just one minute. And John, he's... Okay, Grey Worm is pissed off that John killed Daenerys, and he wants justice for it. So everybody's like, we'll just send John to the wall. This moment for me, that was the... I felt a pit in my stomach when I, when I heard that. Send him back to the wall. First of all, the wall doesn't need to be there anymore. The Night's Watch doesn't need to be there anymore. The Night King is gone. The Wildlings are your allies. So you're basically sending him to be a customs agent if the Wildlings ever want to come south for a vacation or something. But to do him like that, to be bastard with no name to the Lord Commander, to King of the North, to fucking Aegon Targaryen, to just, all right, sorry, John, you killed the queen. We got to send you. Even though I'm in charge now, I'm your brother, and I'm the king, I have to placate to these unsullied bastards because, mm, who knows? We probably have way more people in our army, but we just don't want to fight anymore, so we're not going to fight for you, buddy. We're just going to send you to the wall. So John has his goodbye with the Starks right after walking by Grey Worm packing up on a ship. So the motherfucker is leaving. So all John has to do is pretend that he's going to the wall and just stop at Winterfell and hang out with his family. But no, that's not going to happen. He says goodbye to Sansa. He says goodbye to Arya, which is a very touching moment because they always had a really good, you know, uh, dynamic with each other. And um, then he says goodbye to Bran and Bran's like, you know, as he says to Bran, I, I'm sorry that I couldn't have been there for you. Bran's like, you were there. there. You were ex- exactly where you needed to be. <sighs> and so he goes beyond. He goes to the north. And it was so confusing, this. Because it really seemed to me that he was going to have to be a Night's Watchman. Like, it, he was being escorted by Night's Watchman to Castle Black. And then the doors open and there's wildlings. But there's also Night's Watchman there. And then he gets to pet his good boy ghost, which is the only good thing they fucking did for us this series. But I think they only did that. They only set up him ditching ghosts like that because they knew they were going to bring him around to pet again. And then everybody would be like, oh, everything's good now because he pet ghost. Okay, everyone, I don't have any issues anymore. Um, So Ghost and Tormund are up there at Castle Black waiting for him, apparently. And then, like, without any dialogue, and that's fine if that's the way they want to go with it, but it was really unclear as to whether he was escorting the wildlings back north of the wall and then would have to go back to Castle Black, or if he was going there to live with the wildlings and be king beyond the wall. Now, I think that that's what they were going for when he looked back at the gate and it closed. I think that was them, like, all right, he's going north of the wall. He's king beyond the wall now. If that's the case, that's fine. I just think he didn't need to be brought back from the dead, and his parentage makes no sense. It's meaningless. The only reason, and look, so the only implication is that Relor brought him back to kill Danny. Why does Relor care about Danny? I have no idea. Why did his parentage, why was his parentage such a big deal? Why was him being Aegon Targaryen such a big deal? Everybody says that it was the impetus for Danny to go crazy, but she seemed to be pretty cool with it. the fact that he was a Targaryen. He just, all she did was like, all right, well, then don't try to push your claim for the throne. And, you know, the information itself was really the move to create a mad queen in Danny, but I just, 
it didn't feel like it landed anywhere. And I feel like ultimately what could have happened is had John killed Danny, let him sit on the throne for a second to create a council to say, I'm only here to create this council of you. And then we see those people that were in the council and then have him tell them, you know, tell them I'm this person. This is why I've called you here. This is the way we're going to do things from now on. I'm relinquishing my throne. I don't want anything to do with it. We're going to stand right here and we're going to vote for our new king or queen. I would have been totally fine with that. Then he could go up to the wall and do his own thing and hang out with the wildlings for the rest of his day, and that would have been a great ending. But to have the end of season six be the reveal that he is Aegon Targaryen, only for it to be a plot device in which makes Daenerys angry, is feels like a wasted opportunity in the least. Anyways, he gets his happy ending all the starks get their happy ending by the way if you hadn't been paying attention the starks really won the game of thrones this time <laughs> and that gets me to our young master brand the broken <laughs> i swear when Tyrion said that I, I i started laughing i was like that is so rude why are you gonna call him out like that dude he's just he just you can't help it he got pushed out a window um so yes brand the broken is our one true king of these here six kingdoms now. This is probably the biggest issue that I have with the entire series. Bran... Bran has not been the most interesting character historically for the, past, for the entire series. His Bloodraven thing was okay, but I really was annoyed by all the visions and the dreams, the repetitive dream he would have with the three-eyed raven over and over, and then he had to go see, and he had to become the three-eyed raven. And it was weird to me that the the the, the blood raven, the three-eyed raven that was there, wasn't like a robot like him when he became the three-eyed raven. Like the guy in the tree had a personality, and it seemed like he could... Carry on a conversation with normal people, but when Bran becomes the Three-Eyed Raven, he's just a fucking robot. I don't get it. He became incredibly unlikable for that reason, and everybody has always said that Bran was the worst. But Bran is the worst. He's a boring character. He's basically an omnipresent god that kind of finagled his way to the throne. Because... From what I gather, and I'm going to have to look back at this episode, or the last episode, um, but it would seem to me that they were alluding to the idea that Bran knew that he was going to be king all along. Now, we know that Bran has visions of the future. In his vision, he would he saw Danny's dragon fly over King's Landing, and I believe he also saw Cersei burn the Sept. So, it's possible for Bran to see the future. What's disturbing to me is that it really solidifies the, uh, the, the, that notion when he responds to the council, why do you think I came all this way? So either he's being funny and it's not coming off and because he hasn't had a personality for the past three seasons, or he knew what was going on this entire time. And so his ploy to tell John about his parentage was really only to make sure that Danny went crazy, burnt a million people, and so he could be elected to the throne. I, that's the only real logical. I like. I. 
that's the only way that I can really kind of like uh, reconcile the whole thing. Maybe he knew about it all the time. Or maybe just the writers didn't have enough time to make this story really make any sense. Anyways, it's gone on for about over an hour now, so I think I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, those were my, I, you know, feelings for this series. I love it. I'm gonna rewatch it, but I don't know how the rewatchability will be going forward, um, especially with the way certain character plots ended. Um, so before I go, I just wanted to bring up a couple things, a couple dead ends, if you will. Um, here are a list. Thank you to Free Folk at Reddit. Um, if you ever have any thoughts about Game of Thrones and want to talk to people or just see people's opinions about it, Free Folk is a very good subreddit for that. Um, and so I kind of collected a bunch of uh, ideas, or not ideas, but just unexplained slash dropped slash underwhelming plot points that have happened over this series just to give you a scale of why people might be upset with the way the story was told. So here we go. Craster's deal with the White Walkers. What was up with that? He was giving them babies. What? Does that mean that they're intelligent enough to strike a bargain? And why couldn't the people of the South do that with them? Maybe they just wanted Sam's baby this entire time. <laughs> Edmure Tully. Edmure Tully comes back at the very end, um, only to be the butt of a joke and have his nieces tell him to sit the fuck down. <laughs> that was okay, but it was like, you know, where was he this whole damn time? Uh, the Golden Company, the infamous Golden Company, the... The, uh, the best sellswords in all of Planetos, I believe. Um, totally destroyed within 30 seconds, so that was cool. Didn't even put up a fight. They were gone. Done. Um, Yara Greyjoy wanting independence for the Iron Islands. So I guess she's not independent anymore, to be honest. Uh, independence was guaranteed by Daenerys, and now Bran's the king. So she got fucked on that one. Sansa's like, all right, sorry, well, I get to... I get to be independent. You guys got to follow uh, the three-eyed raven over here. Um, let's see. Oh, the Danny pregnancy foreshadowing. There was a few big foreshadowing moments about Danny getting pregnant, and it, they never went anywhere. So it makes me think that maybe the books will have this plot point, and that might actually create a bigger drama between Daenerys and Don if they end up together and she ends up pregnant and he still has to end up killing her. I think that, that would be a bigger, a bigger thing for sure. Um, let's see. R plus L equals J. I kind of went over that already. Um, the three heads of the dragon thing. That's more of a book, uh, a thing, but three heads of the dragon wasn't really, uh, addressed. Kinvara, the red witch in Essos popped up for a moment to, help spread propaganda for Daenerys, but never came back. It would have been cool if she came back with an army in the Battle of Winterfell with, like, a, you know, the is that the Red Hand or something like that. Um, John riding a dragon, that was just kind of glossed over real fast. Like, oh, it's no big deal. You can ride a dragon as long as I'm here. Well, okay. Um, Arya just dropped the whole faceless man thing. I think it would have been cool if she justified it as like, I can't use that anymore or else they'll come after me. I think that one throwaway line and that would have been fine with me. I used it for the phrase that they were on my list. I can't use it for anybody else or else they'll come after me. Perfect. Done. Um, 
Oh, the wolf the wolf dies, but the pack survives. The lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. That was a big thing in a couple of seasons ago. They were trying to talk about how the Starks are better together, and then all of a sudden at the end, they're all in desperate areas, and they're never going to see each other again. So that's cool. Uh, the white horse with Arya, that was strange. It was just a stylistic choice, I guess, by the directors. It didn't really mean anything. The pale horse thing didn't amount to anything. And then Arya was walking when we saw her last. She wasn't even on the horse, so what happened? I guess the horse just was there to take her away from the fire, and then she ditched it. I hope she at least pet it, unlike John. Um, Arya and Gendry thing, I think that was pretty good. It made sense she was never going to be a lady. I, I, I get that. Um, I felt bad for Gendry, though. That was pretty awful. Um, oh, yeah, the three-eyed raven, Bran, warging into Hodor. And having that interaction with the past in that way that was never really brought up again and then we further see that also in the tower of joy scene in which he calls out to his father and ned a young ned stark and ned turns around so he can manipulate past events to some respect but we don't really know what that means and it just ends up to be nothing so blah uh, Dorn, Nuke Dorn, I was fine with that. Uh, let's see, the end of the Dothraki, and then, you know, but not really the end of the Dothraki. You know, yeah. Varys's letters, what happened with that? Did he send them out? We don't know because they didn't show us. Um, let's see, the Iron Bank, that was kind of that was kind of already dealt with as far as you know, Cersei paying them back, and then you know, order to get another loan. Apparently, there's another loan from the Iron Bank, so we'll probably never know what that was about. Um, Cersei's pregnancy that was kind of like not really handled. Um, what did uh, the voice say in the flames to Varys? Now, it would be cool if what the voice said to the flames, or what the voice in the flames said to Varys when he talks about the sorcerer cutting him. It would be cool if the voice said Dracarys, because that's the last voice that he hears. So that would have been kind of cool if he had, if we could have had that understanding that, like, oh, Varys, what he heard in the flames was Dracarys. So, although maybe then he would have never followed Danny because she's got dragons and speaks Valyrian. I don't know. Yeah, it's a mess. Um, so no consequences for the Sept of Baelor. We kind of got that a little bit, but Cersei just took control, and so she didn't have to be held accountable for that. So that's okay. Um, so no more Mira, no more Jojen. Jojen dies, obviously, but Mira just gets annexed back to wherever the fucking reeds live. I forget where that is. Uh, Quaith. Quaith meant nothing. Quaith was the lady back in season two that was wearing, like, the hexagonal like face mask with just her eyes showing and she came to talk to Danny and gave her like a prophecy. It's bigger in the book. So I understand why they kind of let that go. Um, let's see. Uh, la, la, la. Anything else? Anything else? No, I think that's pretty much it. Um, don't hear from Dario. Oh yeah. So basically the Lord of the light, all the gods aren't really explained and I'm not really sure what we're supposed to take about gods and prophecy, because I've made this point somewhere else where I said, if prophecy is not really supposed to be taken seriously, you can't expect us to believe that right away because we're 
working in a world of so much fantasy, resurrection exists, all these other things exist, why wouldn't prophecy exist? And why? what are these gods doing? So Rolor has a really big, the Lord of Light, he has a really big presence in the whole story of this series. But we don't really get to see what his whole thing is about. We don't understand what it is. Why? We'll just never know. So that's it. Um, let's see. Oh, Sam found that hill, the horn, uh, at the first of the, the fist of the first man. We all thought it was going to be like the the uh, the dragon binder horn or something like that, but that ended up being nothing. Um, yep. No. That, that's. I think that's all, guys. I think I've talked my way into a headache, and now I have to go lay down because I've spent too much time talking about Game of Thrones. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it, some people popped in and out. Thank you guys for, for joining me. Thank you for listening. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I know that it's just my opinion, and if you guys had loved the season, please, I love it too. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to poo-poo the whole thing. I just think that there were a lot of issues with it. Um, but if you didn't see any of those issues and you don't, you know, you enjoy it, please. I mean, by I'm, I'm very happy for you and it's just my opinion. So, um, thank you for tuning in guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, means a lot. And, you know, thank you for being patient with me. This is my first time live streaming and, uh, being solo and for speaking for this long. So I'm going to go lay down now. Uh, appreciate it guys. Thank you so much. 